All right, shall we? We shall. Welcome to Ergo. Hey. WHBK. Mm-hmm. Ergo Radio. I agree. Dot com. Concurred. I'm Kiss. I'm Damon. And uh, what we do here is <laughs> showcase the voices and stories of folks reshaping our culture for the more equitable and the more creative. Uh, every week we have a live, long-form interview up here on WHPK. Shout out to uh, also Post Loudness, the wonderful podcast collective that we are a part of, and shout out to Wizard Radio over in the UK. How you doing out there? Nice to uh, nice know, to be talking to you. Yeah, it's happening. We have a very special guest here with us today. Uh, but first, some community announcements. You got anything up top, Dame? No, I think I'm just going to lay down this week. <laughs> I'm just going to go to sleep. You like had the big deep breath. Like you were like, this is very important. Nope. I'm I, taking a nap. I don't know. Uh, a couple things just real quick. Uh, the Black Europa Fest at Union Park, which is created by Ergo alum Ray Chardonnay, is happening. That's from 4 to 10 p.m. Is that not Black Utopia? That's, oh, it re, ooh, that's really, ah, that's, my phone, that's, that's a, what I'm here for. Wow, what an autocorrect, <laughs> what a complicated autocorrect that was. Ooh. Uh, Black Utopia. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to a real good start today. Way to go, oh, Daniel. <laughs> also, Avery R. Young is going to be at the Clipper uh, on Saturday night. That's always a good time. I always say I'm going to do this. We actually did it today. I put all the community announcements on our Facebook and Twitter. Uh, so you can find the info for that. A couple of the last things. Uh, this week we dropped the third We Go mixtape. We go, go, go. Go? That's all I got. All right, I'll keep going. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a compilation mixtape of all of the honor performances from the last few months, featuring artists such as E-Viewing, Soul Patches, Lester Ray, a whole bunch of other... Jamie Kell, Tweak. Oh RBG. man, it's a it's okay. a good it's a good time, and it's on our SoundCloud, um, also on the website ergoradio.com. We're going back on tour. We're going to be in DC on the twenty first of October, doing a live interview and concert with the wonderful Akenya. Uh, you can find that info also on our Facebook. Lastly, um, we're not gonna. I don't know if we'll have a chance to get to a whole lot of this, but I wanted to plug this up top. You know, in the midst of all of the um, devastation and rebuilding and reshaping work that's just starting in Puerto Rico. I wanted to give a moment just to to share one new opportunity that I haven't seen posted in a whole bunch of spots, but I came across yesterday. Um, one of the big things that's happened is that the food system has been wiped out. The whole basically agricultural structure of the island has been wiped out. Uh, there's an organization called Boricua, which is involved in and has been for about 28 years um, building the sustainable agriculture movement. Um, and mostly that's through connecting farmers from different parts of Puerto Rico with each other to share what they do and then also building some political infrastructure. Um, and so they are now, uh, through an organization called Why Hunger, taking donations um, to buy equipment to help people rebuild and then to get those, they call them brigades, those meetings between different farmers back in place on the island. So that link is on whyhunger.org. It's also on our Facebook and Twitter. I strongly recommend uh, if you're looking for somewhere to give, if not there, somewhere, please. Uh, but that does seem like a good spot. That's all I got. Any thoughts on that, Damon, before we jump into this? You uh, like food? Food's good, huh? I do like food. Foods. I don't know. I, I guess my inclination is to be silly, and that's not something I want to be silly about. So Fair enough. Way to know your limits. Yeah, no, that's just sad. <laughs> Those are my people. Uh, let's, uh, let, let's, let's get to what we do up here. You want to you wanna do an intro? Now you got it, man. All right. We have a very special guest. She's a journalist, a thinker, a activist, a wonderful 
wonderful voice fighting for the more equitable folks. Maya Shemwar is here. Hey! <laughs> How, uh, as we always like to start this that was a very i like that, the abridged yeah, version yeah. it was off the dome too that was pure <laughs> purely from the spirit oh, man. Oh. <laughs> from the heart as in i planned the other sounds <laughs> that i randomly make it's like most wednesday nights they're like, like i did eagle last week <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna do the rhinoceros sound like this the whoa all right uh, as we always like to start the show uh how are you treating the world this week and how is the world treating you good question i it's two questions okay (laughs) plural (laughs) i i think that this week i am treating the world with a bit of neglect Hmm. unfortunately i last night after taking an ambient i posted on facebook overwhelmed that's a dangerous game the facebook post post ambient i do it i do it way too often Mm -hmm. i posted like five pictures of myself once just smiling against my shower curtain like which is has like plants on it Mm -hmm. and it's just like my face like (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah so i ambient is like one of my favorite things but it's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the combination with Facebook. But anyway, I like, say, on the bottle. They say don't mix <laughs> alcohol or social media. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. So although I I do think some of my most popular Facebook posts and tweets have happened. That was gonna Amway. be my question was so, how yeah. how the public responded. <laughs> The public? It's <laughs> like it's a hell of a well, shower curtain. <laughs> who's the public? The people. But but yeah, I, I feel like I'm being like a, I'm always one step behind. Mm. And not just this week, but really for the past several months. And I yeah. think part of that comes from co-running a news organization in a news climate that really still trying to figure out like news is happening at a different pace right now what people consider news is happening really differently and still trying to figure that out and so yeah yeah I'm feeling I'm feeling behind in terms of how I'm treating the world Mm. (laughs) but um how's the world treating me well let's see I um, I think I've been feeling a combination of immense gratitude and frustration mm. <laughs> this mm-hmm. week. And the immense gratitude is I get to do things with my time that are meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about that a lot because it's like, you know, here we are amidst all of these disasters and I hear people say a lot, oh, I had to go on a news fast and I don't know what that is <laughs> personally. Yeah. Uh, I can't, you know, I yeah, get just it. Like, I'm, get I'm, it, I'm dropping out for a few days thing. <laughs> right. it's, it's a little right. tricky when you're the one doing the, yeah, you can't do right. the drop. Yeah. Right, exactly. But at the same time, I feel grateful to always have something that I can do, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's part of what I get to do with with my day in 
in helping to make media and also doing organizing work. And so, so I've been thinking about that a lot. Yeah. But then at the same time, just a sense of frustration, both at not being able to do everything I want to do. And also because um, my sister's incarcerated again right now. And I have missed every phone call from her in the mm. past five days. And it is so frustrating to me. Mm. And, you know, because I can't call her. And so I'm just thinking about that constantly yeah. every time my phone is on silent, like mm. now. <laughs> mm. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, so I want to, I want to start, I want to get to there, but let, I don't want to start there. I want to, I want to kind of build um, to there. And I want to talk about, you, you mentioned the word overwhelmed, which is a word I've been thinking about a lot. Um, is it in the work, you know, you, you mentioned running co-running a news organization uh which is truth out which is a great site to for folks to kind of stay up to date with what's happening and get some really good perspective and we'll talk more about that too but um and this is i guess a question actually for both of y'all like and yourself what, as well let's all right let's put that mirror up there what uh <laughs> thanks Dan. these days when what activity has you feeling whelmed like not overwhelmed, <laughs> just whelmed. Is it the work stuff? Like, does that help? Is it the moment where you do get to talk to your your sister and you answer the phone or or, or for Dan? Like, when when are you feeling whelmed? And it doesn't have to be in the work, just in general. What do you, you want me to go? Yeah, Dave. I'm just impressed by reducing but, it to whelmed. That's yeah. that's pretty good. That's right up my alley. Um, shit. I mean, I don't know. I guess. Um, when I'm doing a combination of like taking in digital information that I think other people are like sleeping on, whether it's like some old lecture from the eighties while also listening to music while reading and while writing down sentences and non-sentences that might rhyme uh, in a way that's like not like stagnated, like when it, when it's yeah. flowing. Cause so when I'm like kind of doing all of those things, I, uh, I feel more whelmed and then ready to be um, a reliable living organism. <laughs> so like in that flow? Yeah. When that flow has happened a few times and I'm getting some exercise and some fruits and vegetables within, you know, every 12 to 18 hours, if all of those things have been happening, uh, you hit like an even whelm. I'm feeling, I'm feeling whelmed. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, I ate a vegetable yesterday. Shout and out. I felt so different. What was the vegetable? <laughs> like spinach. I'm, I'm just <laughs> you, not a vegetable. You say so regretfully. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not a vegetable person, but I do always feel better. Mm -hmm. I do always feel better. And, um, you know, in the New York City public <laughs> school uh, dining, like cafeteria system, pizza is what's categorized as a vegetable for a while because it has tomatoes on it. Isn't that the controversy though? Isn't tomatoes a fruit? Oh well, that wasn't yeah. the issue. The issue is that pizza is <laughs> not a fruit or a vegetable. But like even yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like even well, with the, the stretch they were going for. Yeah. yeah, I think it was Bush who said that fries, French fries, were a vegetable. 
And they were a pathway to freedom as well. Right, right. Freedom (laughs) fries. Jeez Louise. Oh, my God. So, so. But but also, spinach spinach is not the The, well. The name of the sequel to this podcast is Beyond the Spinach. (laughs) (laughs) The pop got the Popeye's of prison abolition over here. (laughs) I just ate it once. I don't think I counted Popeye. But, uh, no, I I think the flow the flow thing is true for me too. I was mm. trying to think like, okay, just over the past week, when was I feeling in it? And I think it was. So I've been working on this book, which has been very challenging. Mm-hmm. And I was transcribing an interview, and it was an interview with someone who had been locked up in a psychiatric hospital on and off throughout their childhood. And I, you know, so this is a depressing mm-hmm. yeah, a, a beach read, yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But it remind like, when you're transcribing, you have to be in it yeah, for yeah, a really yeah. long time. Word by word and by word. Yeah. yeah. Why do you think we don't transcribe the show? Exactly, right. <laughs> so, like... It just clicked. It reminded me, oh, right. This is why we do this, mm-hmm. is people. You know, mm-hmm. like, it, it It was kind of like a connection moment, which in my daily work, often I don't have as much because mm-hmm. I do a lot of editing. I do a lot of commissioning yeah. where I'm reaching out to people that write about things or, you know, editing work that someone else did and doing things that are kind of like facilitating that that work happening but this this brought me back and mm. and also just remembering like a lot of the stories that need to be told aren't being heard right now mm. i mean that's always true but especially in a media environment that's just saturated with with Trump. And so so yeah, that that was a moment. And then also so I'm in love with my cat mm-hmm. and not romantic. Give a cat a shout, shout out. out What's out the name? For sure. Zams. Hey Ooh, Zams. Shout out to Zams. I'm sure we she's listening. She's a loyal listener. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. First time caller though. <laughs> Zams is actually really active on Twitter mm-hmm. and everyone should follow her. Mm-hmm. She's abolitionist cats or um with a Z cats. with an S or with a Z at the end? Well, it's with an S, but mm-hmm. Actually, her handle is cats for abolition with the numeral that four. That feels like a really fertile niche right there. It is. Like she cat lovers, <laughs> like political radicals. Like so she hasn't definitely... been she hasn't been tweeting enough lately just because she's so frustrated with mm-hmm. humans, yeah. which is understandable. Mm-hmm. But and Man, we should have had her on. Yeah. Well, next time no offense, I'll but... get no, it's fine. Uh <laughs> I can connect you. Um, yeah, she's and actually her main thing is like 
humans have created all of these institutions that now need to be abolished and they can't be trusted to do that. Mm. So cats have to step in. Mm. And so that is a scary if, as a dog person. That is a very scary thought to me. If any, I think that's how we end up with like very cruel systems. If any population needs to be if any population can rip things to shreds. It is cats. It is right? cats. And Zams is a sweetie. I okay. Mean, you know, she's not kind of like your stereotypical. In fact, I have some, we have some issues. Like she's a total pacifist. Nah. She won't kill a spider, mm. which is, mm. you know, or a cockroach or whatever happens mm. to be there. So, so, you know, we're not completely politically aligned. Yeah. I prefer, um, I prefer cats that are by any means necessary. You know. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, but let's, let's pause. <laughs> Back to you, back, back to you. Um, you know, one of the things that it sounds like you and Zam share, and I, I'm excited that we don't have to ask you the question of what does it mean to be a prison abolitionist, which I'm sure you're very tired of answering. Um, but I, I do want to, as someone who often is asked that question, whether it's around press for the book or in some of the writing you do, um, what are the what are the pieces of the way that you answer that question that you think sometimes get lost in the translation? So like mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, someone transcribing the interview or just in the narrative, like what are the pieces of that that you want to make sure um, get shared in connection with your ideas? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing that I was most frustrated about in some of the press that came out after my first book was people kind of saying, well, Maya and other abolitionists are just trying to tear things down. Like, it was just about, like, mm -hmm. prisons go away, you know, which is real, mm -hmm. and prisons have to go away. But every successful abolitionist project that I've ever seen is creative, is about building. And I think that I'm realizing more and more that, like, that narrative needs to be lifted up mm. because the word abolition is actually being used in all of these ways now that are a little bit scary. Hmm. And so I'll give you an example. So last year, this op-ed came out in the magazine The Week. So like a mainstream kind of national news magazine that, and it was this op-ed that was called Abolish Prisons. And I was like, what? Huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I looked and it's this guy going, so clearly prisons haven't worked and they're not cost effective. And he went on to make the argument that basically everyone should be incarcerated in their homes mm -hmm. and there should just be like mass electronic monitoring mm -hmm. because it would be cheaper. Mm -hmm. And that was being categorized by this yeah. large national magazine as abolition. So... So, yeah, I mean, that's a component. And by building and creating, I'm not just talking about, like, building other ways to resolve conflict and harm because, you know, that's definitely something that needs to be done. But also building up all the other institutions that, that need to exist right, and right. don't, you know. Right. And I think we're, we're seeing some of that conversation happening with the healthcare debate right now with people right. saying – you know, we don't just need to defeat Trump care and defeat Graham Cassidy and all of these things. 
we need to be building a system that actually values human beings and values real care and does not equate like having money with with your life and isn't about making a more a leaner more profitable structure exactly yeah as an abolition i think the healthcare i didn't expect to go there or have this thought but (laughs) i think the healthcare (laughs) landscape from that perspective is really interesting about how if we want to call it our side or our end of the spectrum um has to like yeah our jersey has to (laughs) account for um being overly responsive if not sometimes reactive because especially right now to like to because that is very much true right but the fact that that like that ideology or that politic wasn't forefronted more during the conversation for obamacare and we just kind of or maybe I was just a kid, so I don't know what people were actually saying. Maybe I'm ignorant and like I'm sure, you know, the, the, the Miriam Coppers of the world had been saying this the whole time. But I, I, I felt like on a mainstream popular level. Uh, you were around. What do you think? Is that yeah, true? Yeah, I was I, there. I, so you actually, there. <laughs> you know, I was there. I was somewhere wearing, I was 16, <laughs> wearing snapbacks. <laughs> you cannot find Damon in a snapback. <laughs> a crisp linen, linen denim. Linen denim. I mean Levi denim. I'm off my I'm off my rails. <laughs> it's all right. I said black you're open. It's Zam's the only one holding it down. <laughs> if only oh, Zam's were here mm. to fact check all mm. of us. <laughs> no, um I was at Truth Out at the time when Obamacare was being debated and passed. And yeah, it's I'm actually seeing kind of the same dynamic among like liberals slash the left and, you know, leftward Uh. was like, (laughs) yeah. I mean, this is like the thing, the thing that. That's actually an involuntary reaction. Anytime someone says liberal, it (laughs) makes that sound. Yeah. Well, right. I approve. I think that. Neither does it drop. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I'll stop. So liberals. No, I won't. (laughs) We're continually trying to shush us, basically. And I remember publishing some things at the time about single-payer healthcare and getting just this incredible backlash and people saying, first of all, you don't support Obama. Like, you have to support what Obama's doing. And then second of all, like, we're going to get nothing if we don't get this. And I think that scarcity mentality is Mm -hmm. really, really scary. Now you're speaking our language. You're you're right up the alley. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it. We share a dumpster. (laughs) (laughs) That's where we put Trump. See, Zams really should be here because she used to live in a dumpster. (laughs) Oh, Lord. um, (laughs) What a triumph. (laughs) That's the American dream right there. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, yeah, there's a a mentality that we have to fight for not the thing we want, but against the thing we don't want and stop there. And also like not think about the structures we're putting in place that we're gonna have to tear down later, mm-hmm. which is of course a central principle of abolition is don't build things that you're going to need to tear down. Hmm. And with Obamacare, 
that's what we did. You know, we supplemented and we built up the for-profit insurance industry, you know, and and I think that now, you know, of course, we can't take the position that like, okay, we want everything to go away and then trust that we can build up yeah. the new thing. So, so we can't take that approach. But I think that if we don't have a sense of the long game, and actually Kelly Hayes just wrote a great piece on this. Shout out. For Truth Out yesterday. We got to get Kelly up here. <laughs> That's yeah. great. It was for Truth Out? Yeah, do that. So get, yeah, those, uh, get, those, get those ad clicks. Go check it out, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Trying to feed the metadata. We don't take ads. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, no, but, but yeah, Kelly wrote a piece about how we need to think long term about this and that otherwise we're just trying to kill zombies basically mm. by trying to kill these individual bills and exhausting ourselves and if we don't have a long term vision then we're not anywhere mm. you know and so the long term vision in terms of healthcare is single payer but it's also that's part of a broader vision and kelly talks about it as a culture of care mm. And I think it's also it's also a culture of real justice, mm -hmm. you know, and you can't live in that culture. I mean, that that's like the real long game. Mm -hmm. Right. Because a culture of care and justice can't be a culture of capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy. Like mm -hmm. so. So I think that when you start talking that way. Of course, you scare away the liberals. Oh, wow. But, <laughs> but you also scare away this group of people. And I've I've always thought this was funny among truth outreaders who are, you know, people I, I hear from most. But also within the left more broadly, like people who call themselves pragmatists, mm -hmm. where mm. they're like, you know, like, I'm radical, but I'm pragmatic. I'm like, well, I'm pragmatic, right. you know? I mean, we have to I feed be... myself. <laughs> right. I feed myself once I in a while. I had a I leaf of spinach. spinach. <laughs> it was more like four leaves. It was like a okay. garnish. Okay. All um, right. Garnish but, came crazy. <laughs> but, but yeah, there is, there's also... So there's this idea of pragmatism and like kind of a kind of scoffing at idealism like mm -hmm. as if those two things are opposed and mutually exclusive and i think we just have to get out of that mindset yeah because because I, I think even in this example what could be deemed as pragmatic is like actually not to be honest because even even the idea of like single payer being the long-term goal actually the long-term goal is like living in balance and holistically we're mm -hmm. like we're not needing even if even if we are all paying and the medicine is free like the relying on medicine and eating things that kill us and having high blood pressure and heart disease and cholesterol and cancer you know right. it's, it's still kind of responding and, and 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 not going far enough so the idea of oh i'm gonna be pragmatic and keep like contributing to this culture of poison right. uh is not very pragma pragmatic no. at all so I wrote a piece it's death by a thousand this cuts. Year. Yeah. Yeah. And ouch, you know? And you don't have health care. <laughs> <Right. laughs> 
Yeah, for sure. I wrote a piece, I think it was last year, that was called something like, if you want universal health care, stop killing people or something like that. And the idea was that when we think about universal health care, it has to be a total shift of priorities. So it's not just like taking money away from certain areas to pay for, you know, paying paying for healthcare that I I have a million problems with the medical industrial complex. So whenever I talk about healthcare, like there are issues there too. But also, also things like war, things like prison, like those things are inherently unhealthy. Right. And those things are, are actually modes of murder. And so when you think about it that way, like building a healthy culture is about so much more than prescriptions. Right. 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 Yeah. No, prisons are a public health issue. Yes. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's jump um, a little bit into, into some of the work you do with Truth Out, which you've mentioned a few times. You know, one of the things that we've, as we've kind of, through doing this show for a couple of years, have built up some, like, understanding or theory around, like, what we were doing at the beginning and then kind of done that in retrospect is stop doing it (laughs) (laughs) is we just kind of like the way that we handled questions around like objectivity or like journalistic standards was we just said well we're not journalists so you can't come at us for that um (laughs) and so shout out first of all shout out to you for doing the the real work of being like no i am a journalist (laughs) and (laughs) i'm uh i'm gonna try to figure out how do we reshape what that means so i i was reading you know, there's a piece that, that you co-wrote around, you know, shifting away from a myth of objectivity. Yeah. Um, and so one, just like a little bit about the the model of, of how that works, but then also just for you as a writer and as a thinker and as a journalist, like what are some of the like freeing or liberatory feeling that comes with like not having to pretend to be objective all the time? Yeah. Well, one thing is not getting funding from mainstream foundations because they won't fund you if you don't say your objectives. So mm. that's unfortunately an effect. Mm-hmm. But on the positive side, so I guess the idea of objectivity was something that was drilled into me. And I think every single person who, or, you know, the vast majority of people who've ever taken a journalism class. Did you go to J school or something like that? No, no, Just no. I, I took a couple classes mm-hmm. actually before college. Ah. Um, just classes, you know. One of those, one of those, I, one of those kids. Yeah, one of those overachievers. Yeah. Oh, what did you oh, do with no, your son? It wasn't a college class. Oh, just like okay, I was about to say there was. There were always those kids who were like going Ooh, on the weekend. I mean, oh, I no. It was I the college wish. summer. I'm getting credits. Yeah. I wish, but actually, I would have done terribly in those <laughs> classes. Yeah, yeah. And I. You know, I thought about, like, applying to college for journalism, and I actually was so depressed by just high school journalism, Mm -hmm. like, learning the, like, oh, you know, you you have to always get interviews from both sides. There's Mm -hmm. always two sides. And in a, quote-unquote, objective story, both of them are equally valid and you're supposed to give them equal time. And it was kind of, it's kind of this idea that if you, if you insert enough 
opposing opinions, then that's where the truth lies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know how this became the norm. Like, I don't know how it became the thing that like is who wrote the guidebook. Yeah. L- l- well, let's hypothesize a little bit. Like, because I hear two possibilities mm-hmm. when I hear that that model or that framework. One, just like human beings being overly binary and like how we do everything, like one or the other, and like mm-hmm. that's e- the easiest for our brain to compute. But then also, like I'm hearing that like partisan partisanism whatever the 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 the, like two-party system right investing in the infrastructure of journalism and media and like probably being a part of establishing the curriculum so i mean i guess it could be both it doesn't have to be a binary like i just said (laughs) (laughs) yeah but but but, turns out you are a human (laughs) (laughs) but if we lean towards more do you think it's like just like a, a misunderstanding of information and humanity or more like intentionally structured or a way to try to limit full-on propaganda i think it's the power structure Ah. reproducing itself Mm -hmm. because when you say this is an objective article this has all the sides therefore it's the truth first of all you're always picking who you interview which sides are represented what how the topic is covered like which topics are covered so there's always subjectivity in there yeah. there are always choices being made because there are more than two options first exactly. of all. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. yes and and so so what's represented as the spectrum of opinion is always going to be limited by the perspective of the reporter the perspective of the, of the publication and most publications and most journalistic outlets are supported by corporations. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, very often they're very politically affiliated, you know, with a yeah. party. And I think that that one of the things that we have to get outside of is the idea that you can isolate the truth and have that truth be something that is like divorced of humanity. Right. And that's kind of like, like good journalism, according to journalism school and according to kind of like the standards set by a lot of mainstream publications is like subtracting the human from the reporter, Mm -hmm. which is completely impossible. And then what's left in place there is the power structure, you know, and is all these oppressive institutions that then make their way into the, into the journalism. It's like the, the norm is objectification and like in any other context, that word is not good. Like, so, (laughs) so like the, the, (laughs) the push for objectivity, like once you continue to conjugate that word is objectification. We got to start like a, we need to get sponsored by like Merriam Webster or something. Our etymology game. Oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, It's gotten, it's gotten very real. (laughs) Do you have any favorite root words? I'm sure they, they have like some political party. (laughs) I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're pretty partisan too. They're pro English. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely for sure. Pro the colonizers. Pro, pro English, pro wall, I'm sure. Oh, man. <laughs> um, but I want to, you know, we talked about- I know like, Webster's like, what's up with the shot? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah, come at me. You know, 
Choose Out uses Merriam-Webster's dictionary as our. It seems like a problematic guide. affiliation. <laughs> and you say you're independent, <laughs> but you know that that's some of the like the theoretical framework. And I want to one of the things that as I was you know because we've been in space together, but as I was doing like some preliminary research, research meaning I like read your website a couple times. <laughs> um, Thanks. And it was kind of fun to see the overlap between you know some of this framework and what we try to do up here. So I'm going to read. A quote that you probably wrote, but it's from that objectivity article. Oh, okay. (laughs) In telling the stories of particular campaigns and acts of resistance, we aim to share the larger narratives of movements, not only helping to amplify activist efforts as they happen, but also building a critical historical record of movements from Occupy to BLM to Idle No More to the fights against the Keystone and Dakota Access Pipelines. By lifting, excuse me, by lifting up the voices of activists struggling against powerful forces through both our articles and our active social media presence, we are both fueling current movements and providing key documentation upon which future movements will be able to draw. So what I responded to in that was this DJ like, poor quote. Was that like that the, the, the dual effort of both like creating something that's aiding in movement building now and then also as documentation for the future, um, which is like literally the goal of what we're trying to do here. Um, so my question for you is, How's that going? (laughs) (laughs) It's going well. I think, you know, it's always an effort and it's an imperfect effort. But lately we, we have been trying to do more with kind of consciously documenting successful campaigns. Mm -hmm. And so an example of an article we published recently that I think did a really good job of this was Charlene Grace did kind of a retrospective of the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Shout out, yeah. And kind of like how how the Bond Fund was created and built up and how it has simultaneously worked to support individuals and also advocate for the larger effort to end money bond. And like that's something that I feel like because Truth Out is a national outlet, so most people in the country don't know about mm-hmm. the efforts of CCBF, but they read. If they listen article. to our Matt McLaughlin interview, they would know. That's true. <laughs> That's true. They should. We're international. Very smart. <laughs> so now I feel overwhelmed, <laughs> frustrated. I don't even have a cat to go cry. To be upset with. Come on. Shout out to Bowie, though. Shout out to Bowie. <laughs> this, this Shiba Inu that now lives in my house that is yeah. not my dog. Such a good dog. Yeah. Oh my God, such a good dog. He's been doing this thing where when I'm working, like editing audio or whatever, he'll just yeah. come up and just put his chin on my leg and just like oh, look up at me. Oh, Zams does that. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah, yeah, but Bowie did it first. <laughs> Zams has been doing it for two and a half years. Ooh, so I, but Bowie's seven. Receipts. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> is Bowie an abolitionist? Bowie invented the remix. <laughs> <laughs> right, Bowie wins. Uh, I'm not sure where Bowie's politics are. We haven't talked. You know, we're new roommates. We're still That's fine. Out. Yeah. yeah, you know. But anyway, I'm sure. It'll- <laughs> but so Charlene, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so that's an example, like a local Chicago example. See, you got to hear both sides of it. We need Bowie on one side, Sam's on the other. <laughs> yeah, you should have them debate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's what we need. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so I think documenting movements really important. But another thing is kind of 
what do we mean by fueling movements? And I think part of that is that articulating a vision is a really important thing. Mm -hmm. And movements need material to draw upon to say, okay, this is what we're fighting for. And I think that, like, one thing that we've been trying to do more and more in recent years is instead of always having reporters go out and be like, okay, I'm going to report on this campaign, I'm going to report on this movement and, like, interview people. And, you know, I still think that stuff is important. But more and more, I've just been feeling like I just want organizers to be writing about their work because and not just, but I want more organizers to be writing about their work because again and again, you see reported pieces about movements just getting it wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's like insert activist quote here. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like write the story without the quotes. Yeah. Quote coming soon. It's also just and amazing then, how much reporters just get facts wrong in any kind of story. Well, that's like, true too. When you realize anyone who's ever had a story written about them, when you go back and read it, it's like, oh, that's you, not what that's I said. <laughs> Whether I it's misquoting or just misunderstanding, like, or just getting basic fat, like that, you realize, like, oh, it's another knock against that objectivity is like, oh, no, you you misheard me or you misunderstood me. And it's like you know, that fourth that. wall breaks. So then you look back at all of the quote unquote news that has right. like framed your your idea of fact yes. up through life. And once you see the other side of the curtain or the wizard behind the wall, right. it's like, oh, this is this is an imperfect process. Yeah. Which is absolutely. why centering the subjective can be so effective if that is right transparent and forefront. Exactly. I exactly. learned this lesson when I was four and they opened a new playground near my house mm. and I was my left arm was in the photo uh, <laughs> and I had a quote in it. So I can't remember the quote, <laughs> but my name, according to the article, was David Kesslinger. Ooh. And then I was like, I don't trust the news. Fake <laughs> news. <laughs> yeah, I've been quoted wrong in some really interesting ways. Yeah. I'm like... Sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish I would have said that. And then sometimes I'm like, wow, if someone reads that and thinks that I said that, yeah. like, I hope no one ever reads this. There's, I'm not going to say where it was published because I don't want anyone to ever read it. But <laughs> one time a reporter called me and I thought the whole call was on background. I thought it was just like off the record and that she just wanted me to like give my thoughts like mm-hmm. and because she was going to eventually write something about it. And so I was just talking and I was making lots of like silly like food analogies and like just like, mm-hmm. you know, like talking how I would talk to a friend or something mm-hmm. and incomplete sentences and stuff. And then the whole thing was online. Unedited, just the oh, text. Wow. <laughs> Just transcribed. Like it even said like like every time it said like. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's terrible. I always have like the exact opposite experience of things getting like minimalized or like cut down into a way that's either like intentionally takes all the substance out of it. It makes what I'm saying really vanilla or puts me in like real danger. There's Mm. been some things like over the last few years Hmm. that has been like scary. I'm like, oh, wow. Like. You people are trying to get me killed. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like what? Yeah. If you um, want to talk about it. It's interesting because it's actually part of the reason why we're in the UK now. But there was this piece uh, where, I, you know, some folks had been around for a lot of actions and protests. And I, you know, did a lot of like 
back and forth. And I think their intentions were g- good on the ground, yeah. uh, but they there was also an international perspective. So they, it was yeah. like a BBC thing or something. Not BBC, UK, but yeah, but something in the UK. And the, the thing that was like really the most scary. They just were trying to like make me look like a like a radical extremist, like yeah. ready to like blow shit up <laughs> and like metaphorically yes you know but I, like <laughs> for the record that's not the end <laughs> um but it was it was something to the extent of so they were getting both sides is what they're yeah. doing so they were right, like we right. we've talked oh, to a lot of we've talked to a lot of police officers who feel like they're in a war and my thing was like oh i'm gonna bring in all this history mm-hmm. of how the drug war has actually been warfare on the people and actually endangers these so-called heroes that we're like putting in these positions and it's actually for political power and leverage it right. is a war zone in my cities and in mm-hmm. american cities but it was like it got cut to they think they're in the war because they are cut to protest <laughs> and it was like oh. me with my little curly headed black face i'm like do, you, do y'all not know the his and then you're gonna play this all over the world like if y'all do not know the history of the yeah. like the legacy of where i am like y- y'all could get me killed for real for real yeah and like, uh-huh. and that was already the threat. <laughs> like, I was already starting at it. I could get you. Yeah, <laughs> it was just really adding flames to the fire. Like, really sensationalizing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a thing for sure. And I've noticed that a lot with interviews, particularly interviews with people who are already really vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So people in prison will be interviewed, mm-hmm. and they'll be quoted saying things that could get them in in a lot of trouble yeah. by sympathetic journalists. Right. You know, We're by like, well, We have journal- to tell the whole truth, even exactly. the ugly parts. It's like, right. that person doesn't get to walk out of there at the end of the day. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that actually leads me, I want to ask you, going back to, to the first book um, and continuing through a lot of the work that you've done where, you know, a, a lot of your writing has been kind of framed through the stories of your sister um, mm-hmm. and the, the personalizing of that um for other people um it's something i was thinking about when we were actually talking with matt and thinking about some of the bond fund work and as i see or at least come in contact with more and more um white folks doing work against the carceral state Mm -hmm. um have you how have you encountered folks white or not for whom this is like very hypothetical or theoretical and how do you Mm. how do you balance that yeah I I mean, I encounter that all the time. And I particularly encounter it in spaces where white people who are kind of like ensconced in academia Mm -hmm. and the system will try to bring me into spaces to kind of like be an ambassador or something Mm -hmm. (laughs) to say like, oh, like you're a person who can like, be white in this space and talk about prison in this like non-threatening way. And I think that's yeah, really translation dangerous. Is huge, yeah. yeah, it's really mm-hmm. dangerous. So that's a thing. And there are people who build whole careers over doing exactly whether Absolutely. that's around prison work, whether that's around just arts work in general, whatever, yeah. whatever it is, people who, you know, it's that middleman thing. Right. Um, yeah. Right. But middle I middle person. Huh? The middle person. Middle person. The middle person. <laughs> yeah, I think as we talk about this destructive thing, it's important to gender neutral. I appreciate. But a lot that. of people in the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's that, and then there's also this thing, and particularly over the past few years, since prison reform has become more popular and like something people 
like feel comfortable talking about yeah. like even in conservative circles mm. there's become this whole weird conservative white culture of prison reform where people be talking about prison reform as both a like a cost saver and a like I guess, like, religiously motivated hmm. change, you know, like an evangelical, like, family values type thing. And race is completely erased yeah. in that reform narrative. So That's interesting. Also yeah. interesting, historically, a lot of people don't actively know this. Mm-hmm. Like, prison was a Christian exercise. Right. Like, a lot of the intention around the design was to be able to reflect and spend more time with God. Yes, Exactly. So, not my God. Not- <laughs> <laughs> Happy Yom Kippur to <laughs> But I think that should be like known <laughs> as, as, you know. Yeah, shout out to, to you. <laughs> we just do it real subtle. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. speaking of middlemen. <laughs> no, that's, but it is part of the, what I'm actually going to, what I was thinking okay, about right, in relation right. to that is that, um, that situation, that, that situating folks as the middle person in that in that space because i have seen in you know very empirically examples a lot of the time that being jewish folks um who are invited into that space to talk about this other thing in that mm-hmm. in that kind of middle person role so i'm yeah I, that's i don't have a question on that it's just something i've been thinking about um, yeah a lot and i'm curious if you have thoughts thoughts on on that like well yeah beyond yeah like being in that role how do you push back on the, like, come talk to us because you you don't threaten us? Right. Right. So I think the first thing is, like, in situations where it's appropriate, like, asking, like, because sometimes I'll be asked to talk about things that I'm not actually the expert on. Mm-hmm. And then... No, no I, you wrote a book. You're the right, expert. Right. <laughs> I wrote a book. Right. So, like, so I'll say, oh, like, have you talked to... Like, and I'll make some suggestions of people of color actually doing organizing work Mm -hmm. around a particular issue that I'm not the expert on. And in situations where I am going into those spaces, what I try to do is, like, bring in the issues that they don't want me to bring in. And, like, that that can go Mm -hmm. either way. (laughs) It's a really good way to not not get invited back. (laughs) Well, yeah. yeah, which is fine yeah, because I point, hate yeah. like traveling for <laughs> public speaking. <laughs> but but yeah, but I do think those spaces well, also. What's your book in the fall? Yeah. I, <laughs> oh man. Also, you live in Rogers Park. Going anywhere is traveling. <laughs> well, you know, after my book came out, I had to travel so much, and it just became like such a chore. And once I once I stopped doing it so much, I got happier like i was much more whelmed mm, mm. so i have to think about that for the future do you think it'll work to being underwhelmed and then you got to travel again probably <laughs> i i actually like traveling mm-hmm. so so maybe it just got to be a bit too much yeah. but yeah but i think disrupting spaces is mm-hmm. is an important thing and also because and i think that that's part of the conversation around reform that it's easy for people to get really comfortable being like like making the cost argument around prisons making the conservative argument around prisons and then saying and so we all agree and that's how you end up with coalitions like the Koch brothers the ACLU and a bunch of prison reform groups that are supposedly progressive like 
working together on a reform bill that, you know, probably will not free very many people if it ever passes. Right. Or changes what being free means. Oh, yeah. To being definitely. stuck in your house or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you mentioned you're in the middle of writing the new book and being off the road and, and keeping truth out, you know, up and running and going. What, um, I, I don't know, I'm starting to think about asking this more. I kind of asked it as a joke on last week's, but like, what are some like, big ideas you've been you don't have to have like a a concrete like statement on them but like what have you been wrestling with what have you been chewing on recently so working on this new book has been like a little bit of a I feel like I'm chasing something I don't know what it is Mm. because the new book is about all the ways in which the prison industrial complex is expanding beyond prisons themselves. Mm. So it's about house arrest, electronic monitoring, psychiatric hospitals, lockdown drug treatment centers, and a lot of other kind of like alternatives that are being posed as like, hey, this is what we do instead of prisons. And that also includes things like the sex offender registry and um, sex worker rescue programs that are being positioned as like, either saving people kind of against their will oftentimes or or promoting safety in a way that actually results in more surveillance and sometimes endless surveillance. And the thing I'm struggling with is like this is everywhere, you know? It's right. like once you look beyond prisons themselves, you're like, okay, well, obviously policing is, right. is part of all this. And it's like... The carceral state is is everywhere. It's it's too big to even, you know, put inside a phrase like carceral state. You start you start unwinding and all of a sudden you're deep in a rabbit hole watching a French Montana. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So pre-production callback. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm co-writing this book with my friend Victoria Law, who's also a prison abolitionist. And we Right now in our outline, our final chapter is like, but this is what you do instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're like, damn it. Like we have this one chapter, chapter eight is supposed to somehow be like, and then this is what freedom is. And I'm like, it's not going to yeah. work. <laughs> and and I think, but I think that. Which is what you were of- saying, the critique of the first, like the, that, like incomplete pushback was like, well, you just want to tear it down. What are you trying to build? Exactly. Right. It's actually trying to answer that question. And that's a hard question. Yeah, it's a hard question. But so I think that what we're wrestling with and like the big idea that that I'm trying to come to terms with is like, how do you how do you actually build something that is outside of like that isn't guided by fear Hmm. you know that has to do with safety and isn't guided by fear Hmm. and i'm gonna i'm gonna interject there because like this is one of my this is one of my big things is that i don't think the notion of safety can exist divorced from the concepts of fear domination and violence like yeah i think safety is more or less a a a construct of white supremacy because like when Mm -hmm. you look it up it it means the absence of harm or vulnerability or risk which is 
not a reality in, yeah. of existence. So you right. get things like the, the Chicago Police Department being the headquarters of public safety. Exactly. And I think shedding ourselves of that notion right. of something that is completely, to like kind of be contradictory or something that's completely subjective that you can never create a standard of. Because exactly. people can always have fear or always feel unsafe. And that's not really something you can argue against. So how do we like protect ourselves tangibly right. from the harms that we acknowledge are a part of, our, of right. day-to-day life? Right. Right. So there's this book by Christine Hanhart called Safe Space, and it critiques that notion of oh, safety. Okay. I need to yeah, put that on the young Amazon list. It's really, yeah. It's, <laughs> if you're trying good. to support the show, and, you can buy Damon's Amazon list. It's <laughs> okay. very long. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yo, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I think that's a really important concept. Also, support, your, like, support your local bookstore. Just oh, that too. Oh, yeah. Right. Oops. <laughs> oh, no. I struggle with that. Contradictions. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Contradictions. Right. So it's like, so, right. Like, safety. What does safety even mean? And, like, I, I think that what we've been getting toward is like, it's not a, it's not a useful concept, mm-hmm. at least for us. Uh, so it's like that. That's hard to grapple with in the context of like, quote unquote, alternatives to prison. Mm-hmm. It's hard to grapple with the notion that our goals should not be safety when people are asking you, how can we be safe without prison? Right. You know, and I think that what we need to be going toward, and this is what we were talking about at the beginning, is this long vision for a society that's whole and actually healthy and vibrant and hopeful. You know, Miriam Kava talks about hope as a discipline. Mm. Like, I think the discipline of hope is is kind of the vehicle that's going to get us toward toward that vision. But I I think that, like, redirecting those questions is going to be a big part of what we have to do to, like, get that chapter eight, but also yeah. get our vision of freedom. I love that idea. It's a, so I heard um, Larry Wilmore say in an interview that when people ask him questions that like are the same questions he gets asked or that are like leading, he just goes, I reject your premise. <laughs> and that's just like, he's like, I'm not going to play that. Like I reject your premise. And that's, that's like a great. good, a good turn of phrase. It's a little PSA mm-hmm. for folks out there. I like that. I think that that's a good, there are certain premises that we won't be able to answer because they are faulty premises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also like I, I kind of what I, I hear you feeling like with a reading audience or, or like critique, right. Is something that uh, I've ex- I experienced in real time, like doing yeah. abolitions workshops. So it was actually some, some university of Chicago students a few weeks ago. Oh. Um, and they were just really struck. Like even before the exercise of having the conversation, like they were just really struggling with like not having an answer provided mm-hmm. for them. Allah, like, you know, standardized testing of I need A, B, C, or D, and I need to pick the one that like works the best, right. like even though it may not sound right. right. And I think what you, what you're saying, a la, process of elimination, you know, a, a la the you know uh, evoking Madame Kaba. Is that you know we you know hope is a discipline or or struggle as a process. So the idea that someone is going to come and have the answer for you before you're like willing 
to go through the exercise is part of the problem. The like the use to being represented, the use to being dominated, or or a, a small group having the power to make decisions instead of collective decision making being the answer. Right, right? like figuring exactly. it out yeah. is the is the answer to to prisons, not a replacement right. institution or or you know a chapter. Right, <laughs> like right. <laughs> no, I mean. My darn Kava says. <laughs> oh, that's a thing now. That's officially now a thing. Now it's a thing. Um, I remember someone She's asking. She's also a French teacher. Yeah, I know. <laughs> someone asking her, that's okay, but like, class. what do you do instead? She is a tough teacher, tough grader. <laughs> I bet. Oh, she oh, oh okay. It was a yeah. yeah, we can tell you the sure. joke. We're sorry. We, we're right out of time. We'll we let you finish your time. point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to say, like, Someone asked her, okay, so what do we do instead? And she was like, I don't know. You tell me. Like, (laughs) you know, and that's part of it. Right. right? Is like we all need to be asking ourselves that. And we also need to be asking ourselves, what are we doing instead? Mm Because every day we're making choices instead of calling the police every time we have a problem in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all. That's, I think, a good kind of question to end on. And I am definitely going to keep thinking about that. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Very good stuff. No, this is this is some, <laughs> this is some quality content. No, no, this is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for bringing your ideas and your voice and your thoughts here. It's been oh, such a joy having you, you on. Having Where me. can the people find you before we rush out of here? I'm sitting in this <laughs> studio. <laughs> no. Truthout.org. Okay. Yeah. And Twitter is, is popping if you want to see Zams in action. Oh, that's true. Yeah. My Twitter is just Maya Shanwar and Zams Twitter is cats for abolition. I like the that number four. And real quick, before we get out of here, we have to do this. This is important. Do we have to? We have to. Okay. I know we're over. I'm sorry, Alan. <laughs> All sports with Alan's up next. As we envision this new world, accountability is a huge <laughs> part of that. And every week we, we like to try to bring to accountability an important population of our community r&b singers who have been running amok real quick before we get out of here if you have to start beef with an r&b singer of any era oh god i would and r kelly is already off the board as is chris brown oh really yeah they are the reasons this game exists okay oh in that case i oh genuine Ooh. I'm sorry. I feel like he's a repeat offender. Oh, really? <laughs> no, that's like, fine. You don't have to be new. No, no, Just that's not, a good answer. Okay. But, but really, R. Kelly. Okay. okay. All right. Fair enough. We're good. Ergoradio.com, Ergoradio, all the platforms. We'll be back next week with another conversation from Chicago and beyond. Much love to the people. Peace. <laughs>